Butterfly, butterfly, pretty butterfly. When I see you flap your wings, I know when it's time for spring. Butterfly, butterfly, pretty butterfly. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Honest Participants Only podcast. Today we are going to be discussing storytelling and story protecting and see I'm already getting it wrong I'm telling a story I'm telling a story of me being frazzled for some reason suddenly but no we're going to be discussing storytelling and story protecting and I've got two great panel participants with me today let me say hi to Asha and to Sarah hi Bo excellent Sarah do you want to tell us who you are Yes, yeah, I'm uh, Sarah Chandran. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Fresh and Fearless. Uh, we're a diversity and inclusion consultancy, and there's kind of two sides of the business where we kind of educate uh, and help organizations to expand their awareness around those subject areas. And then we also consult organizations to, to think practically about how they can yeah, be more inclusive and diverse as an organization. Thank you, Sarah. Great to meet you on Honest Participants Only. Asha, would you like to tell us who you are? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Asha Harkness. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am the founder of Indigo Inclusion. So we are a uh, diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy that essentially are looking to help uh, employees of all different backgrounds, be that age, gender, sexuality, religion, disability, um, socioeconomics, <laughs> um, thrive in the workplace. Um, and that is really through looking at sustainable long-term change, um, not just kind of the, the tick boxes that you can sometimes see, um, and making sure that we're just creating an inclusive environment through equitable strategies and training and um, looking at marketing and onboarding everything just so that uh, the employees can really thrive in the organization and therefore the businesses can thrive as well everyone's happy <laughs> amazing thank you so much so thank you it's great to meet you but I want to know a little bit more about both of your stories so you can choose who to answer who answers first or what order you go in I'm going to be asking you both the same story the same stories the same questions let's kick off what are the first three things people tend to notice about you? <laughs> That's, That's tricky. Actually, do you, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, well, it is a tricky one. I don't, I, I probably assume because I have anxiety that what a lot of people are thinking about me, but honestly, I don't really know. Um, I tend to wear a lot of colourful and sparkly outfits and I do get comments on that. So I think probably they notice um, my personality shining through through, through what I'm wearing. Um, I would assume they also notice that I'm a brown woman because of the way that I'm treated sometimes. Um, that's They're probably the main three things I would assume. And also um, when they meet me in person that I'm short because on Zoom you can't tell. <laughs> Well, now everyone listening and watching knows as well. Five <laughs> foot one you. and three quarters. <laughs> quarters matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so actually there's quite a few similarities. I think the first thing people probably notice is, yeah, I wear a lot of bright colours and uh, like pink is one of my favourite colours, which I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> 
and then I think, yeah, my skin color, because obviously sometimes, especially with strangers, the first sets of questions that might come up could be related to, to my skin tone, my skin color. Um, and I think another thing that people probably assume in terms of, you know, when I first meet them is probably that I'm an extrovert. You know, people assume because I'm quite, you know, confident maybe when I'm in new groups and things like that and networking, that I'm an extrovert, but actually secretly I am a bit of an introvert. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say, when you said that, I, my next question was gonna be, but are you? Because I know that when I tell people I am, I have crippling kind of insecurities about social social anxiety and that kind of thing. And I'd much rather be behind the scenes or even at home than on the stage or whatever. Even though I'm good at it and I love it, it's not where I naturally feel the most safe or comfortable. And people are always shocked because they're like, but you host a podcast, you do this, you do that. You have no idea what it took me to get to this moment. <laughs> you know, building yourself up and exactly um and i will I, i'm gonna share a secret with everyone that even before we recorded this podcast all of us were just talking and getting comfortable because it's really vulnerable putting yourself out there right taking some deep breaths and squeezing my stress ball that you can't see <laughs> absolutely but there was something you both touched on and it's how people perceive you when they see you based on your skin tone or you know anything else that that might come across visually for you i wanted to find out just because i will forget if we do it a bit later in the show i wanted to find out how do we feel about being asked where we're from mm. <laughs> it i think for me it depends on the the relationship i have with the individual and the situation that i'm in because i think often you know the first question where are you from can be quite you know um, innocence the wrong word but just trying to understand where do you work maybe or you know where do you live and that's I mean that's a normal thing to ask somebody but again it's the follow-up questions of no no where are you really from where are you actually from and usually those follow-up questions are from somebody that I have never met before I have no idea who they are they're a complete stranger and I'm like I don't owe you this information about my heritage or my ancestry <laughs> like why why do you want to know this and you know I know nothing about them. So it's that that power imbalance in some respect. And depending on the situation, there are times where I feel safe enough to push back. And there are times where I'm like, mm, maybe let me just fold here and just like get through this and then move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with this narrative, it's hard because I'm really proud of my heritage and where I'm from. So um, when it's, I don't mind being asked exactly the same as you, but it's when it's the purpose, it's the instigation, it's the motivation behind it. And also what came before and what came after. So if it's just randomly put to me with no kind of sandwich or conversation or relationship or whatever, whatever, it does feel different. And I think we can tell when it's a microaggression as opposed, even if the person isn't aware, as opposed to it being an innocent, oh my goodness, Asha, where are you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely echo what Sarah's saying um, and I think it depends on the situation and like you're saying Shay you can you can really feel that in the past I have absolutely hated this question because as we might get into a bit later part of my story is not really being proud of my heritage um, because of where I grew up it was a very white um, tiny village in Suffolk um, and I was kind of socialized as white and dual heritage my father's English um 
So when people asked me that, and then I said, well, I'm from Ipswich. And then like, no, where are you really from? Like, I'm from Ipswich. I was born in Ipswich Hospital. Like, I would get really annoyed. Um, whereas now I'm embracing my heritage more. I might be out at an event. Um, I might be wearing something a bit, uh, some cultural jewellery or some cultural wear, which I like to kind of integrate. Um, and people might ask me, they're like, oh, that's really interesting. That's really pretty earring. Where, like, where is that? Like, are you, you know, they might be curious in that way. Um, and I think, again, that's okay, but it depends where that's leading to, if it is a curiosity or if it's othering. Yeah, no, thank you both so much for going with me on that tangent. Um, it's just such a pertinent question, I guess, for anybody who is part of a minoritized group, no matter what the group is, whether it's just the fact that we're women or, you know, our race, whatever it is, it's a really nice question to be able to reassure people about. So thank you so much. Okay, next question. Have you changed very much over the years? Oh, definitely. I'm probably going to be putting some LinkedIn posts out in the near future of Little Asha. Um, <laughs> I have, yeah, I've changed so much. Um, and I was always the shy kid. <laughs> Um, I was always painfully shy and um, no self-confidence, um, absolutely shrank into the background and now I love public speaking, I love having my voice heard, um, I love just being myself and wearing what I like even if it draws atten further attention to me um, and I suppose I can be a bit shy and, and introverted at times but um, I have an inner confidence now so if I'm if I'm ready to kind of speak out or introduce myself to new people I'm I love doing that now because it's it's how I met both of you actually um, <laughs> so it, in that regards um, I changed tremendously and actually since the pandemic when I kind of pivoted what I'm focusing on in terms of my work um, to what I really truly align with which is all of this inclusion work that we've been talking about um, that's where I've seen a shift in myself and I'm I've been learning to kind of come to terms with my internalized um, queer phobia because I'm bisexual or biphobia um, internalized racism internalized misogyny um, all of these things that I was ashamed of being which I'm now really proud of being um so yes the pandemic actually was a bit of an instigator for that and giving me the time and space to, to get on that journey so yeah um I think a lot of people wouldn't recognize me now <laughs> if they met me in the street and it sounds like that's a good a really good thing and I love that for you yeah thank you um Sarah how about you have you changed over the years I, I just don't stop changing <laughs> I think it's one of those things like I, I think about who I was 10 years ago or five years ago or even like last week. I just feel like I'm always learning something new and I'm always adapting myself to certain things. And so I do feel like I'm constantly changing, which sometimes maybe feels like, oh, I don't know who I am. But I think that's the beauty of it. You're trying to figure that out as you go along and as you go through life. Um, but I think hugely I've I've worked on you know seeing my worth and and you know that self-talk of telling myself you know you are good enough you you are um 
you know you have a lot of purpose in life and this is what you know you want to do and keep going for it and you know manifesting and feeling abundant about life and those kind of you know uh I don't know what they call it but you know those kind of things are really um something that I've tuned into and really uh really kind of accepted um over the last few years and I'd say my spiritual side of myself has definitely become stronger over the last few years and I'd say that's the, probably the biggest thing I've seen change in my life and yeah I'm so grateful for it but every day is a journey because sometimes I'm like no I don't want to meditate I don't want to do this I don't care but then there's other days I'm like I really need this and actually I need to tune into my spirituality that's that's so honest um because I think we all have those days where we're like today I don't want to be zen I don't want to work on myself I want to be petty or whatever it is do you know what I mean um and the work we do on ourselves is so important especially for the three of us in particular because we run our own agencies and our agencies are an extension of actually our own personal values so that is really really key we're going to switch it up ever so slightly. I'm going to ask you a question, Sarah, and then Asha, I'm going to ask you something slightly different. So, uh, and you can answer with three bullet points or sentences or paragraphs, whatever you want to do. What do you truly believe you were capable of? My goodness, what a big question that is. <laughs> it's weighty. It's so weighty. Oh. <laughs> but you know what it is? I want this to be recorded. I want this to be something that you can look back on. And you were speaking about the affirmations you use for yourself. Um, and what I found for myself is that sometimes when I look back, even in the notebooks you can see behind me, I look back and I was like, that thought I had was brilliant. Um, and even if I'm on a different path, it kind of helps to bolster me and remind me that I'm on this journey that I'm on because I'm destined to be on it, not because I actually chose it. So um, yes, it is a big question, but I have faith in you. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm, I'm very happy to, to, yeah, to answer it. I think um, this is going to sound so cliche, but I do think I'm capable of anything that I put my mind to. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, when you were just talking about the notebooks and reflecting back on it, you know, thinking about the things five years ago, you were thinking, oh, this is what I would do in a year's time or five years time or 10 years time. I've had that so many times in my life where I actually remember looking back at uh, my aunt asked me for a copy of my um, you know those letters that you send into university to try and get into your course and then I said yeah I'll send you mine so this was written a long time ago and I was like I, remember, I don't remember what I wrote let me have a look and there were so many things in there about my story and the things that I kind of envisaged envisaged for my I envisioned <laughs> for my future and it was such a wonderful moment for me to go, oh, wow, I had those dreams for myself back then and I've actually made them happen. And I've done that, you know, when I've caught up with friends from a long time ago or recently. And I say, you know, they're like, oh, it's amazing that you started your business and you're succeeding and all this wonderful stuff. You know, I had no doubts. And I was like, yeah, I had no idea that I would do it so soon or do it at all. And they were like, what are you talking about? You always talked about it when you were younger, that you were going to start your own business and do your own thing. And it's amazing to see you to do that now. So it's interesting that I have that disconnect, but it's nice to have those reminders. And yeah, I think it's it's just a, an indication for me that if I, if I want to do something, if I put my mind to it, I'll make it happen. Yeah, I love that so much. And see, we're all going to look back on this moment as well and be inspired by your, your resolve to be reminded 
of what your dream always was, but also to be working towards it and seeing the steps from this point on with um, Fresh and Fearless and so much more. I'm genuinely excited for how we're <laughs> going to change the world. I can't lie. Asha, who are your influences in life and why? Oh, I've got quite a few. <laughs> um, they, they're mostly people that I have met by through LinkedIn, to be honest. Um, people who I have sought out that I've uh, worked with or become friends with or have had like a mentoring or coaching relationship with. Um, they are all people that might be considered marginalised um, in wider society. And I, I've, I've sought them out because I wasn't seeing any kind of representation of like how I could be, what I could become. Um, you two are definitely some of those people for me. Um, Sangeeta Palai, who runs Soul Sutras, is a massive inspiration for me. She kicked off my journey. Actually, I um, found out about Soul Sutras, which is her South Asian feminist platform, before the pandemic. Um, managed to go, I went to her Loving Your Brown Body workshop before the pandemic kind of hit. I think it was January um, 2020. And that really kick started me off onto my journey to loving my brown body, because previously I really didn't. And through her podcast and all of the information she puts out there and now becoming friends with her and doing some work with her in the, in the pandemic, she's a massive influence to me and some a, a, like a fearless and fiery South Asian woman who I can think this is someone that I look up to and someone that's forging their own path and also raising the voices of um, People, more marginalised people within the South Asian communities talking about all of the taboos that we're not allowed to talk about, um, which is something I love to do. So that's it's a massive inspiration for me. Um, and other people that are just speaking their truth and being themselves and being authentic um, on LinkedIn, like that's really inspirational for me because it's it subverts the norm and it makes me think okay well I've been trying to work or talk or act like this which is how I have kind of been believed it needs to be within within the workplace within society it's not working for me because it's not authentic to me but look over here these people are just being themselves and I think it's great loads of other people think it's great so it allows me and encourages me to be myself too um so yeah, that's that's actually been really key for me on my journey over these last couple of years, just finding out those people and um, building those relationships with with people kind of doing their own thing. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so I don't know if both of you know, but I wrote a book called Sunny Days, and in that book I speak about who we surround ourselves with. Um, before I knew how to surround myself with people who would motivate me and were just healthy for me to be around. I had no idea how important that was. But going back to what you were saying, Asha, it just, it's life altering. It really is when you change your perspective on these people are here because they've always been here and so therefore they should be here. And you go, actually, no, what I'm not going to accept any more of or what I will no longer entertain is 
and you start to put in boundaries, um, not barriers, because they're different, boundaries, uh, life can be so good, you know, and I love that. I love that response, Asha, thank you so much. Last two things we're gonna do before we jump straight into actually talking about storytelling and protecting. I want you to finish this sentence. So if we go with you again, Sarah, I've got a couple of them, so I'm choosing which one. <laughs> I didn't think that I could accomplish. I didn't think I could accomplish starting Fresh and Fearless, my own DNI consultancy. And I'm so glad you did because potentially we may never have met. So thank you so much. And Asha, your question, your sentence. I am best at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm best at being me. And that's, that's the truth. I've learned that no one else can be me apart from me. And I've got so much to give the world. So I can't fight it. Just got to embrace it. <laughs> Amazing. You know, when I asked you at the top of the show, kind of who you were or to introduce yourselves, that was a piece of the puzzle. And then we started to build on it some more. And then we started to understand your mindset. And then we started to kind of understand a bit more about, you know, even in your tone and your delivery and those kind of things, people are making judgments and um, about who we are. And we're doing it to other people all the time. It's necessary in life, right? Uh, but there is also a side to it that is important to understand. So I said that today is going to be uh, on storytelling and protecting. So we know what storytelling is, right? We know that it's just the sharing of a narrative. On, in the broadest terms, it's the sharing of a narrative. And that's really, really important because, well, that's how we communicate. That's how we get information from me to you and vice versa. It's how organizations do it. It's how the media does it, it's so on and so forth. But I would love to ask you both to have a think and tell me what you think story protecting is. <laughs> we're looking at each other to be like, oh, we'll go first. <laughs> um, I can go. Yeah. I think, I, well, for me, it means being careful about what you share and with whom and how much you share and how much detail because um, as you've alluded to Shay people I mean we we have to make quick judgments all the time um, it's how we help it helps us make thousands of decisions a day um, our brain does it automatically but those kind of biases that lurk under the surface can completely take over and if you share a part of your story Whereas you know the whole of it, but you just share a chunk of it. Someone could hear that and with their own kind of um, bias being, being a lens on that, make a complete wrong judgment about you. Um, and I feel like, especially in our profession, being black and brown women, we want to be taken at face value seriously, professionally from the outset. But if we're not careful with our stories, that can influence how people might perceive us and our ability to do our jobs. I love that so much. I will respond to whether or not that's 
the definition that I've coined, because I coined this term myself randomly. When the, when I can't find something to describe something, I just make it up. Sara. <laughs> okay, uh, it's my turn. Um, I, I, I agree with Ashen. I think there's another lens on it in terms of story protection being about uh, you as an individual when someone's sharing that story with you and how you create a safe space for them to um, be as vulnerable as they can be and still feel that they're not going to be, you know, as we talked about, harshly judged or heavily criticised, marginalised, all those, you know, horrible things that we can feel when we are being open with our own stories and narratives. Um, so maybe story protection also being about how the other person creates that space to protect your story and within that protect you and your identity. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so interesting that I don't know if it's because of the area that we all work in, um, but it's spot on. Both of you were spot on. And the reason I didn't want to come to you, Asher, and be like, that is great, is because actually when I wrote the definition to story protection, I did think, think about it only from one side. I thought about it from the perspective of the person who was receiving it and their responsibility to do what they do with it. But you're absolutely right. There is a uh, there is an accountability or responsibility for the person who's sharing to be protective of their story themselves. And I think I've learned through terrible, absolutely terrible experiences, um, which I'll share one of those in just a moment, that not everyone who says they want your story for a good purpose is going to use it for that purpose. We speak about intent versus impact. Even if their intention was not to damage me or harm me, they've left me in a position where I've been harmed. Um, and I'm sure we all have stories like that. And one of mine relates to, so I have cancer. And so I, my, my face is a little bit lopsided because of it. I've got a scar on my neck where it was head and neck cancer, very rare cancer. And through Macmillan, I was invited to go to do a photo shoot where they were like, you know, it's about number seven makeup in, in boots. And we want to show that we cater to everybody. And I went down to this photo shoot and there were two white women and there was me as a black woman. And the reason I'm telling you their race is because none of the makeup that was there suited my skin. It made me look very grey and it was just inappropriate and would not, even they said it wouldn't show up well on the camera and it's for the mirror newspaper and uh, they knew my story I'd been interviewed and so my cancer is rare it's head and neck very few people have it want to raise more awareness so on and so forth I sat in that makeup chair and what ended up happening is they used my own makeup for the shoot so what was seen despite the fact that it was actually publicizing a completely different brand and I was told to stay quiet. I mean, I have no incentive to stay quiet now, um, but I was told to stay quiet. They put out this narrative that wasn't true. That's all well and good though. What was even worse is that when the piece came out, they spoke about these three women who had breast cancer. So my story wasn't even part of the narrative, my actual story, the thing that had taken me there, the thing that nearly took my life. Um, it wasn't even part of the narrative because three women with breast cancer is a better headline for them in that moment. And so story protection is something that I coined that is the endeavor to safeguard the experiences shared with us. It highlights the importance of what happens after someone has tapped into their vulnerability. It's a way of not rejecting that vulnerability by, ins by ensuring we are true to the collective purpose for everyone involved.
So I'm not holding them accountable completely in the sense that they hadn't they had a purpose for asking us to come along, right? They needed to get what they needed to get. But in that are well, my, because the other two women actually did have breast cancer, my story, my identity, and the things that they could have done with it were completely lost. So how does this um, definition of story protection strike you? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, definitely. Um, and it's something that's really important. Um, in a, a lot of uh, talks that I've done, uh, panels, we are encouraged to be personal and share those vulnerabilities and share our experiences in order to help understanding for other people that have not had those experiences. And it's something that I think is so important and should be respected is protecting what you hear in those safe spaces. Yeah, and there's that responsibility, isn't there, of someone being so open and vulnerable with you. It, it there has to be some accountability and responsibility of what you do with that story now that it's in your, you know, it's in your life, it's in your world, um, and you have to treat it appropriately. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that safeguarding word is just, it just stands out so much when we're talking about story protection. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Um, so let's talk about it, Just let's just touch on it ever so slightly with regards to um, organisations then. So I've put down some notes for myself here, which is why I'm looking off to the side for anyone that's watching on video. <laughs> um, I've put most people and most organisations actually make the things we hear about them. So if I'm if I'm hearing something about you both, I kind of make it about me because I have to do that in order to connect and to be able to conceptualise what you're talking about. The problem occurs when we do not have emotional intelligence to remove self in order to truly understand what this means for the sharer. So what I'm talking about here is the fact that when I think about 9-11, I just think about where I was. I'm like, oh my goodness, it felt terrible for me to watch that. And it was on the big screen in the conference room and all of these things. And I have this overwhelming emotion and I wanna cry and I'm connected to it, but I'm not connected, as connected as I think to those people who were in that building. But there's something I can do to take myself out of what if it was me and actually place myself there. So I then think I'm standing, I'm looking around this building. I There's no way out. What do I do? And that changes the way, not necessarily that what I felt before was any, there was anything wrong with it, but it changes the way I perceive that moment. I don't know. I don't think, Ashley, you said that you'd watch Squid Game and Sarah, I can't remember if you had. But there is a narrative, right, so there's this show and it's called Squid Game and people basically have to do terrible things in order to survive. I'm trying not to spoil it for anybody. But again, this narrative is, oh my goodness, this person is evil. But we forget that they're fighting for their actual lives. And that is something that is often lost when we speak about um, you know, organisations speak about story protection or, no, storytelling. They kind of forget what it really means for the organ for the communities that they're trying to engage. Have you ever experienced that for yourself? Have you ever kind of either been at the, the tail end of something that was meant to be for you, but actually made you feel a lot worse? Or even have you been someone who was perpetuating that and didn't realise at the time? 
It's a very interesting, interesting question. Um, I think I probably have experienced both. Um, just working in the space that I do, having been a part of panels where we have lots of different people from different backgrounds, say it's an LGBT panel, um, we always, we, we're always making sure that there's um, diversity within the LGBT spectrum within that panel. Um, this isn't through Indigo Inclusion, but kind of previous life. And I think sometimes we can focus in too much on the trauma that people have been through. Um, and we're not really respecting how vulnerable you have to be to to tell your story. And I think for me personally, I have felt the pressure to uh, say more than I felt comfortable saying, kind of justify why I'm speaking on a panel maybe, <laughs> um, which I won't do anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just as you're talking, Asha, I was just thinking about when organisations and, and it happens so often, I see it all the time on LinkedIn, when they ask somebody to come in and talk about their life experiences and essentially re-traumatise themselves to, you know, engage with a particular ERG, like an employee resource group within an organisation, or just to, you know, fulfil and tick a box to be like, you know, we've got this speaker coming in to talk about the true lived experience of, you know, this marginalised identity. And then they'll put, we don't have budget, so, <laughs> you know, can you come in and do it for free? And, you know, I think that's organisations want to do the right thing and bring somebody in and have that representation, but not recognising the, the, the impact and the, the, re, the, the impact of that re-traumatisation. I don't know if that's a word, but has on an individual. You have to pay someone because they might have to go and get therapy for it or, you know, have, have gone through so many different avenues to get their story to a certain stage to be able to tell it in an impactful and powerful way and when you I just think it's such a, a disservice and a, and a slap in the face when you know you ask somebody to 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 talk about their trauma and then go oh yeah we don't have budget but hopefully you can do this for free <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that answers yeah. the question that really that really winds me up see that <laughs> it absolutely answers the question and um you know it answers the question also about how important identity is to us and there was something you said Asha towards the end you said that you often speak more than you might feel comfortable to because you want to you know validate your position on this panel and I don't know Sarah if you also have that experience is you said you're not going to do that anymore there is there a reason what was the turning point how did you decide you weren't going to do that anymore and why I think it's because I realized how those parts of the story affect people's perception of me but also affect my mental health <laughs> I have um, generalized anxiety disorder um, and depression so that's something that I have to be really mindful of um, and I've done a lot of work to get to a space where that is um, not having a great impact on me at the moment and the work I can deliver but if I'm constantly out there um, speaking about things that have been really traumatic, it's focusing on the past that is going to bring it all up again, set those cogs in motion, set the storytelling for myself in my own brain uh, that I'm not good enough and all of these kind of 
negative stories and things that I've told myself over the years. And I don't want to keep rehashing that in my brain. I want to focus on the future, all of the great things I'm capable of, and definitely bring aspects of my story to the forefront to highlight, like, this is how discrimination can really affect a person. Like, it can go really far, or it can be incredibly sustained throughout their whole early educational years and career. Um, it's not just one microaggression here or uh, an awkward encounter with a colleague at a party kind of thing it's really sustained so it is important but I just won't I don't go into the details because no one needs to know the details yeah and um, uh, um sorry you were talking for about uh re-traumatizing which absolutely is a word and I'm sure some of us have felt that a, a number of times as well what would you say the damage of a lack of protection has so we understand it re-traumatizes but um, can you go a little bit deeper for me to to tell me what you think about that? I mean, I think there's a multitude of ways that, you know, telling those stories and not having that protection does to an individual, you know, even just physically, you know, that might stress the person. And we know there's numerous studies to talk about the, the physical uh, imprint that stress leaves on the body and people end up with certain, um, you know, diseases or illnesses that have been brought on by stress. And a lot of the times that stress is maybe been uh, caused by that lack of story protection right you know that constantly trying to tell your story trying to tell your truth but no one around you either listening to you or making you feel that your perspective is valued um, marginalizing you as a, as a further or just judging you in a particular way um, it also has you know we talk about it all the time in the diversity and inclusion space you know that lack of story protection means that people are potentially not bringing their true selves to the workplace and so not actually thriving and actually you know performing to the best of their abilities which is such a shame and over time if you're hiding who you really are and, and masking that has again profound and tremendous negative impact on your on your mental and physical well-being um, and I think also just a lot of the times when we're asking people to talk about these personal stories and and there's certain stories and, and Asha I, I connected with you when you said this but you know I don't owe these stories to anybody it's it's in my it's it's mine to tell and I'll tell it when I want to and how I want to and some people want to just know that information because they want to put you in a box or validate why you're you're able or should be doing a particular role or in a particular position but you know people aren't entitled to that but by being forced to tell your story in a way that's not empowering, it lends your power to somebody else. And, you know, you suddenly lose, I mean, losing your power is, is, is one of the most, um, yeah, horrible, I don't know what the other word to use, but it's a horrible position to be in, um, in, in my mind anyway. And that really brings me on to thinking about purposeful actions. And we kind of touched on this theme a little bit, but, when you're from one of the marginalised or minoritised groups that we were speaking about, which we all are in a, a multitude of ways, actually, again, on the very basic level, we are three women who identify as she, her. It doesn't matter what we identify as, but it, it would mean that we still come from, you know, a, a bunch of marginalised groups. And quite often when people are asking us for our experiences or our stories, they want to be inspired. They want to be, you're so strong. And they want to tell us about our resilience and how I couldn't do what you do. 
well, I don't want to do what I do. I have no choice, right? Um, do we think that people are entitled to that inspiration? And I'll just, um, I'll just give you an, another bit of a nugget to go with it. If I'm telling you the story of the three little pigs, if I'm just like, there were three little pigs and the wolf came and he was like, I'm gonna blow your house down and the end. You might have turned off, you might be scrolling on your phone, you might be doing something else. We know how the, the makeup, I can't think of the right word, but we know that the kind of makeup of storytelling, it's really important to be engaging and all of these things because you want to grab people's attention and at the very least you want to do a service to the story being told. You want to make sure that it is wholly exciting and entertaining and whatever. It's why we go back to Disney movies time and time again. But are, is the listener entitled to me going, so guess what? And then there were three little pigs. And then do you know what happened? Tell me what happened. And really making it, you know, something that they can go, wow, oh my goodness, no way. Who's entitled to that? Are we entitled to that? Is the listener entitled to anything in our story that makes them feel I don't know. I don't know what the word to go at the end of that is. But do you understand the question? Do you know what I mean? So many things. <laughs> There's so many things that come to mind. Uh, I think, as always, it comes down to the individual. You know, what what is their objective of sharing that story? What is it that they're looking to to kind of have as a result? You know, the impact on the listener. Is it to be, you know, representing a particular path for a particular identity? Is it to inspire? Um, is it to educate, bring awareness about particular areas that somebody that may not have that experience or that identity have no idea? You know, they want to encourage that kind of perspective taking and invoke some empathy. So, you know, it, it depends on, on what, what that person is trying to achieve. I think, again, it comes down to that, the power play and the dynamic there, because it's always about that person having the power within themselves to tell that story and not feeling they're entitled and, you know, they have to share that. That That's down to them. If the listener's like, no, I want to know more. And, oh, that's so amazing. Tell me about this trauma that you went through. And, you know, what do you mean this happened in your life? I want to know more because, you know, I, can't, I wouldn't know how to deal with that. And those things can, you know, it, it takes the, the power away and suddenly the, the listener's navigating the story rather than the person being empowered to tell it how they wish to. Um, so, yeah, that's that was what the first kind of thing came to mind when you were kind of talking through that question. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, what about you, Asha? Purposeful actions. Is the listener entitled to inspiration? So... I would say no. <laughs> I I think to build on what Sarah's saying, one thing that I have become quite frustrated with in general in in the way that brands can sometimes handle DNI on a surface level is to latch on to certain communities and put stories out there about those communities, maybe for certain times of the month so uh, of the year. So let's take LGBT History Month. We will platform a trans storyline and we might even get trans creators to be involved in that, which is brilliant because you definitely want, you, you don't want non-trans people to be speaking on behalf of the trans community. But 
with that comes as we're kind of talking about so much responsibility and i i don't think anyone is entitled to the ins and outs of, of people's stories i think awareness is really important and the more stories we hear of people from different marginalized communities the more that it's less sensational and we don't think oh wow look at this brilliant struggle that they've overcome isn't that great and get inspiration from from them no that's that's not what what we should be focusing on um and in terms of just going back to your previous question as well when brands can do that and platform people's stories i find often there is a lack of protection there um especially when it's online campaigns and there's just so so many horrible trolls out there the mere act of someone creating something and being vulnerable and putting their story out there they of course should be paid um appropriately for that which is another problem um you know as sarah was saying before like if they get paid at all like they need to be paid but are we paying them properly for all of this but then also the aftercare and the protection from that and what i would like to see more of is just normalizing stories about people from all different walks of life so that we get to see a wider experience of what society is and these stories aren't sensationalized because we realize that society isn't just made up of able-bodied white heterosexual men and women the, what? <laughs> <laughs> the society is so varied um and you might identify as what i've just mentioned but you might then become disabled later in life um or you might have a sister who turns out to be trans like life is so much more nuanced than we are seeing and there's so many more stories that need telling and the more we normalize that the less there will be this opportunity for this kind of sensationalization and inspiration yeah and just on that Ash, i was just thinking it's so interesting because i always see when we're thinking about the media and and the industry when we you know want to put a picture of someone that we would you know when they say oh someone from a diverse background like what does that even mean <laughs> But it actually means black people because they, they don't have the imagination to go beyond that. It's actually nonsense. Yeah. Mm. But they like do that. And then um, it's all about, you know, inclusion or how they face racism or ableism and ageism. But, you know, we all have stories that sit outside of, you know, talking about diversity, inclusion, equity and equality. There are other things of my life that I can talk about in, in addition to that. And not everybody that is black, brown and, and all these different identity groups want to talk about that. They want to maybe talk about how they wrote this particular interesting story about the fairy tale land. I don't know. You know, there's other things that we can talk about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I agree a thousand times. Yes. And um, I see you nodding as well. Asha, absolutely. I am not a monolith. I am more than just my pain and my trauma and my race and my, you know, chronic illnesses and cancer. And I, even in that little random, let me just bring in a couple of things that I am, it's powerful because you're like, oh my goodness. And that's why we kind of started the way we did in the podcast. I wanted to know a bit more about you as a person, your identity, all of the things that make you you that kind of I can connect to without being, oh, well, I can't connect because I'm not brown, I'm black. Do you know what I mean? It's that showcasing of how things should be 
it's that modeling of well we can just get along without constantly comparing or identifying our differences um but finding ways instead to connect so with some of the training that i deliver in one of my courses this is one of the thought nudges that i put out then you will be seeing these on social media i've had them done for a long time asha's gonna i'm not looking at asha because she's gonna tell me off because i keep going i'm gonna put my stuff out there and it never goes out but i have all of this content ready it's just sometimes imposter syndrome but we're gonna ignore it so the way we engage matters if we forget the who and just focus on the how everyone loses if we concentrate on the where and not the why everyone loses. Looking for opportunities to facilitate courageous conversations in safe spaces rather than lead them and to empower rather than to save is a good place to start. So I say that because you said something, Sarah, a moment ago about the fact that no matter who it is, we're being invited into spaces to share our stories and we're being told that those places are safe. But more than ever, we're understanding that those invitees understand, even if the organizations don't, that actually it's not as open and a, I can't bring my whole self to work. You think you're allowing me to bring my whole self, my whole self to work, but I already know that if I do, this other thing will happen, or you will think differently of me, or you won't understand my culture. And so therefore I'm gonna lose again. How important is understanding that I can't bring my whole self to work and sometimes that's okay how important is it for organizations and workplaces to really understand that it's it's so essential I think for some people there is this um this internal struggle and battle when it comes to who they truly are and who they want to be in the workplace and and who they personally are and then their professional selves and trying to keep some some separation um, but there's also so much pressure, um, you know, when we think about like the stereotype threat, for example, we're so, you know, conscious of not showing every part of our identity because we don't want to represent something that someone then will then use to stereotype our group even further or, you know, even embed that unconscious bias even more so in their minds. And so, you know, we we feel like we have maybe some sense of responsibility to hide elements of ourselves to you know, curate a certain image so that those that are in power don't then continue to, you know, act in a particularly frustrating and, and you know, oppressive way. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a struggle to know in what situations you want to do that. But I think, yeah, it comes down to the, to the individuals knowing how safe they are. And if they're not, then, you know, maybe just leaving the organisation. <laughs> Like, bye, I should go somewhere else. I mean, it's been happening. It's been happening since 2020. Um, Asha, on that same topic, do you think that people are more aware that they don't even have to show up the way that someone else wants them to? They can just, because this is why we have quiet quitting. People don't need to announce anymore, actually, you're doing me wrong. They're just going, mm, I'm okay with making sure the rest of my life is rich. I don't owe you that thing. Um, what do you think about, you know, just the workplaces or the individuals understanding that their whole selves aren't owed to anybody? This is a tricky one. I think it depends on the organisation and to a degree the industry, because we like in in our probably our LinkedIn's a, 
uh, full of quiet quitting <laughs> and uh, other channels that we follow you know a lot of people are talking about it but for me personally I think there's a difference between there can be a difference between knowing your full self accepting your full self and knowing you are safe at work but you don't have to bring all of that to work uh, in order to do your job for example someone that I was talking to was a gay male who never when everyone asked about his weekend would say you know he'd have to really overthink because he didn't want to out himself because he didn't feel safe in that environment and he just wanted to be seen as him be able to talk about his weekend get on with his Monday so that's that's one factor and I think there's other um, factors and environments and industries where quiet quitting is just not it's not going to be allowed because the culture is so ingrained um, of uh, just push through, um, just get on with it, go above and beyond, be a team player. And if you're not on board with that, you are going to be forgotten, sidelined, stepped over, you're going to miss out on opportunities. So for people in those industries, as particularly marginalized people, they won't have the option to quite quit. Um, but that's different in br as bringing your whole self to work, which personally I have battled with kind of for my whole career. And it's something that's held me back from just like being able to literally turn up in an office, feel completely myself, not have to overthink what am I sharing? What, how am I acting, sitting, speaking, eating? Um, how am I presenting myself like not having to have the emotional um, expenditure of thinking about all of that just being able to walk in say hi to my lovely colleagues and get on with my work um, there's there's a vast difference in in those two experiences and everything in between which means that someone might be able to show up and do their job really well how how well they want to do it never mind kind of yeah. quite quitting everything you said just actually um, reminded me of the fact that the New Zealand Prime Minister, you know, she's just quit. And it's not because she can't do the job, she's been doing it well. It's not because um, she's a woman, which a lot of the press are reporting that can a woman really sustain and all this nonsense. It's because just like anyone else, she get, she's burnt out. And she's chosen to set the lead by example, by just putting herself and her family first for a bit. And I think that's one of the most courageous things that we've been able to see in these last few years. Whilst over here, we've got people we don't want in power fighting for it and, you know, kind of just going, well, I can do it. Well, this this one can't do it better than me and just bringing each other down. Um, you know, I think that's a really great example. And it kind of feeds into what you were saying about being able to bring your whole soul to work. Mm -hmm. Thank you both so much for that. So we're going to go towards wrapping up but just before we do that I want to ask you what would you say the key to getting storytelling and story protection right both from an individual perspective and then from an organizational perspective so what advice might you give to individuals and then to organizations just thinking about how I can say this succinctly <laughs> <laughs> um 
Asha, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? <laughs> uh, it, well, it's, I suppose it's, yeah, it's twofold. And it's quite a big question. Um, so the key to getting it right personally for me has been trial and error. Um, and I think if you are a person that wants to put yourself out there, you want your story to be told, that's really great. Um, whether you're posting on LinkedIn or you're taking part in podcasts or panel discussions, have a practice beforehand and think about what you are going to share and the extent you're going to share. And then just have a think about how that story could go wider than your intended audience and how that might be perceived by certain other people and how that might impact you. So that's kind of your protecting for yourself there. Um, and that might change over time, kind of like I've alluded to. There's things that I don't share now at all or I don't share in any detail. Um, so just be mindful of that. And for organisations, I think it's really important to keep in mind that these stories are people's lives. Um, do not take them for a piece of inspiration and a light piece of education. Like if someone's sharing something with you, you should pay them properly for that and be really respectful of that story because it's really precious. And the fact that they're sharing it is a privilege for you to hear it really. Um, so there's, I think quite a, quite a bit that can be done in terms of safeguarding for people that are going to be speaking about things like this. Um, I always speak about this, like if we are going to be hosting panel events and specifically if there's going to be people on the panel that uh, from minoritized backgrounds or marginalized backgrounds who might experience um, microaggressions during the panel itself through um, questions that might come up from the audience or if it's online, comments afterwards from trolls, the same for marketing campaigns. Have something in place beforehand, during and after, so that if they are uncomfortable at any time, you have those safeguarding measures in place. Um, that means that they are going to be comfortable to tell their story, but also feel like you've got their back. That's really important. How do I follow that? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think... Something that I've learned over the last few years, um, particularly, you know, we talked at the beginning around imposter syndrome and, and things like that. Um, sometimes I can fall in the trap of perfectionism. And I think with this question, what it brings to mind for me is we can try and do everything we can in our power to get everything perfect and everything right um, in terms of storytelling and story protecting. But it's inevitable, you know, there will be times that we do get it wrong and that's okay. It's just important that we try and we learn from those mistakes and we do better the next time. So for individuals, play around. It's your story, it's unique to you. Have fun with it, you know, and, and lean into the moments where it feels good. And if it brings up something that doesn't feel so good, maybe that's something to reflect on a little bit more or maybe just leave it aside and not something to be sharing with another individual or an organization. Um, and so, yeah, I always recommend sitting with it um, for an organization um, that's looking to have more stories be told and represented internally or externally. Um, 
do it and but just you know have one-to-ones and have conversations speak to third-party organizations and consultants they're there to give you a lens on something that you may you know miss um not trying to plug ourselves here <laughs> i promise i mean plug away <laughs> you know <laughs> bring people in because there'll be things that you're like right I'm, i've ticked all this off i know i know that this is going to be okay but there will be somebody that can come in and go oh have you thought about this because we only have our, our our own bubble and our lived experiences referenced there are things outside of that that we have no no insight into and, and somebody else can bring that in for us um so yeah i would just say let go a little bit you might make mistakes it will be okay and then you know eventually that will get you closer and closer to getting it you know the right way for you or for your organization amazing thank you so much it's been an insightful conversation we're not done just yet you we've got about six or seven minutes so don't don't away um but it's been a really insightful conversation and when the theme is so broad <laughs> storytelling and story protection it can be really difficult but both of your expertise really shone through and also your identities the the kind of people you are and the kindness and the thought and the intelligence and the and I don't mean that to sound patronizing I genuinely mean that although we spoke about not being entitled to inspiration I'm constantly and consistently um inspired by you both so thank you for being on the panel today and I cannot wait like I say to do more with you at the end of honest participants only I tend to get my interviewees to do something and I'm gonna give you a few moments to go and do that. So don't run away, don't leave the studio or anything. I'm going to be telling people where they can find True Story. I'm gonna be showing your Instagram profiles and stuff whilst you two do this thing. The instructions are simple. <laughs> um, and you probably, yeah, you have two or three minutes. And don't think too deeply on it because I don't want you to overthink it. It's again, one of those accountability things that I like to do. It's called letter to yourself. And the instructions are simple. All you have to do is you write a letter either to your future or your past self. What does it say? Start your letter, dear Asha, dear Sarah, and that's all. It doesn't have to be long or it can be the size of war and peace, up to you. But I'm going to put you both um, in the back room whilst you have a think about that. I'm gonna tell people a little bit more about you and what, what we all do. And then I will bring you back and we will go with your letter. So Asha, you're gonna be up first, you're the A, um, and then you, Sarah. So see you in a moment. <laughs> okay, everyone, that was such a fantastic, fantastic session that I had with the ladies who will be back with us in just a moment. I'm about to bring the ladies back. <laughs> and we're going to see just how powerful the letters to themselves are. Let's move us back around. Hold on. Excellent. <laughs> so how was that? <laughs> I, it's so funny because I'm, talk, I'm talking and I'm telling people about the things, but I can see you both down below and you're obviously in like the back room or whatever. But all I can see is the top of your heads because you're both scribbling furiously. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, it's such a great exercise. I loved it. <laughs> Excellent. That's what we love. So 
Asha, are you ready? I'm just, I'm just <laughs> ending my letter now. <laughs> okay, okay. Sarah, are you ready to go? Yeah, so when I started out, I actually didn't know if I was going to write to my future self or my past self. So I kind of figured it out as I went along. Um, are we are we reading them out? Is is that yeah, what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Just share what you're comfortable sharing. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I will be honest, typically I've done this with a, a load of people who have come onto my podcast. They've never had time to prepare. I normally say, these are the instructions. What would your letter be? And they say it out loud in the moment as they think as they go. So oh. you're very privileged, the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> very grateful um on brand as well i've written in pink <laughs> excellent so um i've said to sarah it's 2023 and i'm so excited for your future so i'm obviously still figuring out am i talking to my past or future self um and i realize i'm talking to my past self you continue to push yourself and try new things you push through the scary moments tap into your intuition to grow and evolve I know you're scared of the unknown. You're not sure what the right decision to make is, but you always stay true to yourself and believe in yourself. You're doing great things surrounded by the most wonderful people. Uh, this group of people are uplifting, empowering. They champion and cheerlead. Uh, you put yourself out there and I'm so proud of you. Love, Sarah. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm always blown away by what people want to say to themselves. So thank you. And Asha. Uh, I also was like, oh, <laughs> who should I write to? Um, and then I quickly started writing to my younger self because little Asha is someone I do reference sometimes. Um, and that's the little me that lives inside me. I think we all know that our younger selves don't just go away. They, they're still there inside. Um, and I often think, I actually, to be honest, I often do talk to her um if I'm having a tough time I just think wow if little Asha could see me now she'd be so proud so I these are some things that I wish she'd heard earlier <laughs> um dear Asha you are not wrong you have a place in this world and year by year you will find it don't be afraid to be yourself because you are amazing being brown being queer being weird sparkle obsessed makes you who you are don't hide away share yourself because it will help so many other people you are loved you are so loved i got you oh i love that that is amazing and i'm so grateful for you both having shared that vulnerability with me uh, it is a difficult exercise but also i think it will stay with you i haven't had one person who doesn't come back maybe you know weeks or months later and say actually do you know what I mean so thank you thank you thank you so in wrapping up the show I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions so who do you want to put on we want to use this platform to support and pay it forward to anyone else you see something special in so I don't know if you've got Instagram handles or LinkedIn names or whatever whatever it is you want who would you like people to go and check out Asha um, so I have a few people that I follow that I absolutely love and they really inspire me to help me to be my authentic self and they have uh, different identities to me and I would just encourage everyone to go and follow them and, and see it for themselves. So um, 
on LinkedIn especially, we've got uh, Path Avara, who is uh, non-binary, um, and also uh, Max Siegel, formerly Max Slack, um, on LinkedIn as well, um, a trans non-binary person as well. Uh, and Max's Instagram is also really good, but particularly in the LinkedIn space, I really, those two voices really stand out to me as being authentic. Um, and they, yeah, they really inspire me. So I would love for people to go and follow them. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and Sarah? Um, I think everyone that I'm going to mention has been been pivotal, in, especially in the early parts of my career when I was starting out. Um, and I just think they're, they're truly wonderful. Um, so Darren Bambelu, um, amazing person, um, definitely follow them on LinkedIn. Um, and she's been there for me since the very beginning, <laughs> even before I started Fresh and Fearless. Um, and she's just been a, a great advocate and, and supporter. Um, and also D-Jazz, um, who we kind of connected with as the three of us. And we did a newsletter together. Love D. Honestly, his his posts on LinkedIn are incredible. Like if you if you need the the truth, <laughs> he will give you the truth. <laughs> um, and then um, Humakazi, who's someone I work with as part of the Privilege Project. If you don't know about the Privilege Project, definitely check it out. It's it's a really cool um, kind of platform and and initiative to really educate us on all different forms of privilege. Um, and there's lots of kind of bite-sized videos on their website um, that are really interesting about weight privilege and gender privilege and, and everything else in between. Um, and then, yeah, so follow everyone um, that I mentioned there and, and definitely Shiva Raichandani, who I absolutely adore uh, and look up to uh, and think they're extraordinary. Um, extraordinary storyteller, uh, dancer, uh, director, there is nothing that this person does not do, and I love everything that they that they represent and do. So definitely give them a follow. Amazing, thank you so much. And I will make sure that I get the names and the spellings and the handles for you from you, so that I can make sure that all of the different places we post these people can just click straight, and it will take them to those people. But before we really, really, it's nearly the last thing. Um, where can people find you? So Asher, if you tell us first, and then Sarah, if you go straight after. Yep, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know what the handle is, Sasha Harkness. <laughs> um, uh, that's where I'm most active and focusing my efforts at, at the moment. Um, I am on Instagram as well, but um, that can be a bit hectic for me at times, being on Instagram. So LinkedIn's the best place. Amazing. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, so um, I have an Instagram where I post lots of reels and different videos and stories. So you can check me out there, which is fresh and fearless underscore UK. Um, and also do connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and, and there's a website as well if you wanted to, to look at that too. Um, you, can, you can check that out as well. Amazing. And you all know where you can find me. You can find me at atreestory.co.uk. You can find me at Shakespeare, which you can see at the top of the page right there. So that's on Instagram, on Twitter and on YouTube, where you're probably watching this. You can also find me um, on Amazon for my books and other places. Do you know what? Just come. Connect with me on LinkedIn. 
you'll find me and then you'll find your way to all of the rest of the things. As I said, if you want to share your story or if you want to come to the podcast or if you want to contribute to the collaboration book, get in touch. It has been fantastic to have you on here, ladies. Um, all that's left for us to say is bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Butterfly, butterfly, pretty butterfly. When I see you flap your wing, I know when it's time for spring. Butterfly, butterfly, pretty butterfly.